If you've got your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 2 and verse 47. Interruptions come in all shapes and sizes. My good friend John McCord, who preaches in El Campo, Texas, experienced one. They were on their way back from his wife's parents in Menard. His family just stopped at Bass Pro in San Antonio. They'd just come from hunting on his father-in-law's place, but more importantly, they were bringing back a trophy whitetail mount his 13-year-old daughter Hannah had taken last year. They had stopped at Bass Pro because they wanted to start working on their Christmas wish list. John said they'd been inside for about an hour and a half when they returned and their Suburban had been broken into. The guns were gone, the clothes were gone, and the new deer mount had been stolen as well. Don't you know that thieves who steal preacher's daughter's first deer mounts will experience hell in a very special way? Christmas is a season of interruptions. Some we enjoy and some we don't. We love interrupting diets for some eggnog. We love interrupting work for a staff party and bill paying for Christmas cards. Now, what we could do without is the Denver snowstorm that grounds a San Antonio flight and its passengers don't make it home for Christmas. We could do without the thief stealing our daughter's first trophy deer. And we could do without the midnight phone call from Uncle Larry saying that he and Aunt Beverly are in town for the holidays. And if you wouldn't mind, could we park our Airstream trailer in your driveway? We're only going to be here three days. You'll never know we're here. <laughs> Interruptions. They're as much a part of Christmas as mistletoe, but most of the time they're not nearly as much fun. Just when the garage still includes some baby furniture... Surprise, twins. Just when you're ready to retire, surprise, your son-in-law divorces your daughter. And now while she regroups, your youngest is going to be conducting her homeschooling in your home. Just when you thought your plans were all in place, surprise, a layoff comes, or surgery comes, or a transfer comes, or chemotherapy treatments come. Interruptions. Some can be life's greatest joy thieves. They can leave us fearful and anxious. They can steal our sleep. They can pickpocket our peace. And they can even leave us, even in holidays, questioning God. So let me just ask this. Has an interruption this Christmas season already threatening your joy? What you had hoped for and what you're facing don't seem to be matching. And today finds you troubled and anxious, maybe even angry, and you're wondering, is he bugging our home? Well, God would like to have a word with you. If this season is hard for you, and if you honestly can't wait more for December 26th than you can December 25th, then I want to tell you about a young lady that I admire. It's a story of a young girl who tried to keep a good attitude in the midst of her interruption. And it certainly wasn't easy. She was far from home, miles from her family in her own bed. She had spent the last few days on a very crowded road that both her body and her patients were worn out with. And she was just a little on edge. 
pushing to get somewhere she didn't want to be. And to make matters worse, money was tight and her friends were nowhere near. A warm bed and a hot meal were about as much of a fantasy as the Cowboys winning the Super Bowl. And ask her, which pain is worse, the pain in her heart or the pain in her back? And she'd be hard-pressed to settle on one or the other because her heart ached for her family and she felt estranged from them. Under normal circumstances, they would have been thrilled to be a part of her pregnancy. But pregnant before the wedding, with her conservative family and her bizarre explanation, and I have to tell the man that she was to be wed to that she was carrying a child that wasn't his. She was lucky she was alive, let alone actually married. Well, on this particular moonless night, she needed a miracle. She'd envisioned giving birth at home, mom holding one hand, her grandmother holding another, all surrounded by a midwife, and Joseph outside and a crowd of neighbors bantering about how a child can change a home. And maybe, just maybe, if her family could have experienced the birth of her firstborn beside her, then they would have stood a chance of believing her story. At least that's how some of us might have imagined Mary feeling. And we could be wrong. It could have been that the stall and the feeding trough were her idea, but I doubt it. How many mothers do you know, no matter how green-minded they are, that dream of a cow stall for a delivery room and a manger for a bassinet? Not many, if any. And I don't think Mary did either. So Joseph returned from the inn and he asked, are you allergic to sheep, Mary? (laughs) If he did, I don't think she laughed. She probably gave him the wife brow. He led her to a um, cave and he left to go find some firewood. And when he found it, he heated some water while Mary cleared a spot in the straw and began the task of bringing God into the world. While cows were her witnesses and Joseph was her midwife. But hours after some of the greatest pain she had ever experienced in her life, she was holding the hand of the one who once held the universe in his hand. The one who with a smile in his face spoke and oceans and gravity and the four seasons and giraffes just came to life, came into existence. That one, this Jesus, this divine newborn was now dependent upon Mary for his existence. Who would have thought God would go that far to communicate to ragamuffins like us that we matter that much? No wonder the angels filled the sky with worship and no no doubt the wonder of the shepherds as they looked on and heard the announcements of the news that Blaine read a few moments ago. No wonder that there was awe that night in spite of some awfulness that night. The creator of heaven and earth would bend over backwards for us to that level? Yes. When he settled himself into some simple rags so that the straw wouldn't scratch his back. Now you talk about interruptions. (laughs) Mary and Joseph knew them well. 
A surprise pregnancy, the long road from Nazareth to Bethlehem, a jealous Roman king putting out a contract on their child because he was threatened by a baby. All interruptions, all of them, and all potential joy thieves of the most unpleasant kind, and yet they resulted in one of the most incredible miracles our world's ever seen. So can I just say this? If an interruption or two this season is stealing your joy, I want to offer you a word of encouragement because in your world of short nights and hard work and high-stress friend, even in the most difficult days, hear me clearly, it says it on there, God is with us. Amen? <laughs> and if you're willing to allow him to work with you and in you as Mary was, something life-giving can happen in your life. The son she gave birth to, we know, changed the world. But here's what I, I think you're probably not all that convinced of is that the one who sent him into the world wants to send you into the world and change it as well. That's the one that leaves us a little bit mm, suspicious. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul writes to a church very similar to us who may have had trouble believing that they could be a part of the purpose of God. Here's what he says. We look at this son, and we see the God who cannot be seen. That's what we see. We look at this son, and we see God's original purpose in everything created. Everything. Absolutely everything. Above and below, visible and invisible, even rank after rank after rank of angels. Everything got started in him, this son, and finds its purpose in him. Even the interruptions to your health, friend, even the interruptions to your marriage and your job and your sleep and your retirement plans and your scholarship, they all find their purpose in Jesus. And what's weird is we believe that. If you're part of the bunch that believes that, turn to your neighbor and say, we believe that, just that way. <laughs> oh, come on, like this, we believe that. There you go. Is that nuts or What? That all of everything that we know is life finds its beginning and its purpose even in Jesus Christ. And we say yes. Even the interruptions. We believe that we may not always understand or like what those interruptions bring. But one thing that we do believe is that God uses those interruptions for something good. And... He even promises, go ahead and put it up, guys, joy through them. That was the word that Blaine brought a few moments ago as he read from Luke's gospel. Now, God's not the only one promising joy this season. You know that. But you kind of expected joy was going to work its way into this season of Christmas. It's part of our, our four candle lightings that we do. The advertising world is offering joy. Every marketing company in the world promises us joy. Drive our car, you'll have joy. Buy our home fitness equipment and you'll have joy. Use our wrinkle cream and you will have joy. Everything promises joy. I watched a Preparation H commercial the other day. And the guy's face before, no joy. The guy's face after, <laughs> beaming, lots of joy. It's crazy. Everybody offers joy, but who delivers who delivers? 
A fellow was trying to assemble the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle, and he couldn't get them to fit, and so he called over his friend and says, Buster, I know you're good with jigsaw puzzles. Would you come over here and help me? Buster said, is there a cover with a picture on the box of what you're trying to put together? He said, yeah. He said, well, what's on that cover? He said, it's a tiger. He said, you mean to tell me you can't put those pieces together to look like that tiger? He said, I'm embarrassed to tell you, but no. He said, all right, I'll be over. He walked in saw the pieces strung out all over the table, and he looked the situation over, and he said, you know what, bud? I'm going to tell you two things. Number one, neither you nor I will ever get these pieces to look like that tiger. Number two, put the frosted flakes back in the box. (laughs) Joy to the world. The joke is over. Do you feel that way, though? Like you've got these pieces that you're trying to put together of life for some joy, and they're just not fitting. Hmm. At least they certainly don't look like the joy that you have in your mind, the picture of joy that you have in your mind. Let me say it again. God wants to bring you joy. He does. This season, no matter what interruptions going on in this season. I can't think of a parent in the world who would not want joy for their kids. And the scriptures promise that God's love for us as a father is a thousand times more intense than any parent in the world. Now the joy God promises though is not the same as promised by the car dealership or the advertisers on television. No. God's joy does more than just put a temporary smile on the face. Although it will do that. He's interested in depositing a wellspring of joy in our hearts. Not a shallow joy that melts at the first sign of adversity. He's interested in giving us a joy that's anchored into something. No, listen to me. Someone who's greater than yourself. Because you see, that way, your joy will last as long as you will. Which is forever. Now, it's not a religious PTL attitude. It's shallow and has no depth to it. No, this joy, I promise you, is authentic and it's deep. Sometimes it causes you to smile on the outside, but almost always, listen to me, it causes you to smile on the inside. As a matter of fact, here's how I would define God's idea of joy. Joy is, go ahead and put it up, guys, a smile of assurance in your soul That God is good and his plan for your life is good. I I would define joy that way. Would you read that with me? A smile of assurance in your soul that God is good and his plan for you is good. The joy of Jesus doesn't doesn't pretend that um, there's no trouble in the world. The joy of Jesus is not naivety. It's not levity. The joy of Jesus still weeps at funerals. And there may be some between now and Christmas. The joy of Jesus still sighs at the sight of tragedy. There may be some in our lives between now and Christmas. The joy of Jesus winces at injustice. And it flinches at the presence of evil. However, the joy of Jesus does not throw in the towel. Ever. Refuses to give up. It is a deep-rooted, heaven-based, there is a good God. And that this good God has a good plan for this world and for your life. That's the joy he wants to give you this season. 
And it is a joy that impacts and infects every part of your life. Let's look at the joy that Jesus promised. Found in John chapter 15 and verse 11. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Wow. On my own, Jesus is saying my joy can't be complete? No. But he is promising to put his joy inside of us so it can be. Now, that's, that's not an event. That's not a snap of the fingers. That's not a flip the light switch. It's a lifelong process. But the more Jesus is in us and the more that we lean on him and walk with him and mimic him, one of the outcomes, one, is joy. Again, you don't have to take my word for it. Take Paul's. In Galatians chapter 5, he says it's one of the fruits that comes in a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, and self-control. Goodness. All of those are, are fruit of this spirit connection that we have with the Lord. Now, you know this. If an orange tree doesn't bear oranges, the orange tree doesn't grimace and say, Oh, okay. I'm going to produce some joy today. I'm going to produce an orange today. If it kills me, I'm going to produce an orange today. No. But we kind of approach joy that way. I know I have. All right. Rejoice in the Lord always again. I say rejoice. I am going to have joy. I am going to have joy. If it kills me, I am going to have joy. Doesn't work for you either, huh? No. The solution is to check my connection to the source of nutrients for life, just like it is for that orange tree. Oranges can't force oranges. No, there's got to be a connection between tree and nutrients the same thing is true for you you can't produce not consistently not over the long haul this fruit that that paul promises will be in our lives by just willing it and gritting our teeth and trying to make it up on our own it's because we have a connection with the life of lives that's ever been lived tony evans says don't worry about finding joy. If you're seeking after God, joy will find you. I like that. Peter underscores that by what he says in 1 Peter chapter 8 and verse 9. Though you've not seen him, and none of you have, neither had they, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him or filled with inexpressible, glorious joy. For you're receiving the end of your faith, the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, this was a Christ-centered joy Peter's speaking about here. I want to contrast that for just a moment with what the world offers. It's not Christ-centered joy. It's contingent joy. Contingent joy says, I'll be happy if, fill in the blank, I will have joy as long as I get the new house. I will have joy as long as I get the new spouse. I'll have joy if I can be healthy again. I'll be joy if I can have my children, if I can have my career. Fill in the blank with what you think the circumstances you want will bring you joy. That's contingent joy. Contingent joy depends on the presence of just the right circumstances in order for me to find joy in my life. Jesus didn't offer that. 
Because it's about the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's a relationship-based joy, not a circumstantial joy. It's just not. You see the problem with contented joy? We can't control our circumstances. So if my joy hinges on any set of circumstances, anywhere, I'm setting myself up for disappointment. And that's why most people that you meet, listen to me, are miserable. Listen to their conversations. All they're talking about most of the time is what's going wrong in their life. Turn on the news channel. What do we thrive on? They're going to give us what we thrive on because they've got to sell you commercials about where you find joy, right? And so what we thrive on is just more miserableness in our lives. Isn't that nuts? But it's true. And as long as you're thinking, I can control how somebody responds to me, or I can fix somebody, or I can get this set of circumstances set up the way that I want it, then I'll have joy. You will be miserable. Because if that describes you, you're setting yourself up for one sour life. (laughs) Have you ever wondered why people who get to be my age look so sour and dour most of the time? When I was in my 20s, I preached one of my first sermons in Catula, Texas. And I said, I can't wait to be in my 50s to prove that you don't have to frown all the time when you're 50 years old. It's a lot harder than I thought it would be. (laughs) It's because life can be so disappointing. And it can. And for those of us who have contingent joy instead of Christ-centered joy, you're going to be miserable. And you will be sour and dour. You see, a lot of people buy into the lie early on in life that they'll be happy if they get the right car or marry the right girl or land the right job. And so they do. They get the right car and they get the right girl and they land the right job. But the car gets old. And the girl, there's some problems there. And my job, I got a different boss now and it's just not the same. We buy the lie that joy is connected to circumstances rather than Christ. And that can just be something you say in a church, but I believe it with all my heart. Because I've lived it. So I'm just trying to encourage us this morning, when interruptions come, and they will. When disappointments come, and they will. Don't allow yourself to become gun-shy because you, you, you put your hope in contingent joy that if this comes true, then I'll be happy. No, put your hope in Christ. Because if you don't, you'll become gun-shy and you'll become suspicious and callous thinking, I am not going to be disappointed again. And your heart's going to get hard. But you contrast that with a person who early on in their lives, in your Colton's age, in your Blaine's age, and they decide early on, before they even get out of the gate, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to trust Jesus to forgive every sin in my life. I'm going to welcome the Holy Spirit into my life. I'm going to build my life on his promises, not man's circumstances. And I'm going to know him. I'm not just going to attend church and carry a book around. I'm going to know him. That's what I'm going to do. I know there's going to be challenges. I know there's going to be difficulties. I know there's going to be interruptions, major interruptions in my life. But God being my helper, my goal is going to be to know him regardless of anything else. To connect with him. And I promise you when a person like that gets to be my age... Instead of glaring, they're going to be glowing. Glowing. Now, there's going to be some major things that are tough to swallow. I don't care whose life it is. But when you connect yourself to Jesus Christ and you've swallowed the Holy Spirit, you've welcomed the Holy Spirit into your life, 
There is no greater joy. At least this Christian preacher has found that to be true. This ragamuffin dude, just a normal guy, has found it to be true. Who's experienced disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And yet God has put this smile of assurance in my heart that life is not going to take away. It's not. None of this is a joy that's free from problems. None of this is a joy that's free from difficulties. But anybody who walks this road with this spirit has anchored their expectations to God and they found him to be increasingly beautiful and his grace never runs out and his love is unfathomable and their aim is to enjoy God and consequently the joy that they have will last forever because he lasts forever. Not a fake joy. Not a pretending there's no difficulty, joy, but a gratefulness of where God's brought me today and the hope of where he's taken me tomorrow. I'm telling you, this joy is a smile of assurance. It's Kevlar of the soul. It can take a hit and not be penetrated. It may be devastating, but it's not going to be debilitating. It's a kind of joy that Jesus lived. Even though he faced crosses, even though he faced crowds that wanted to kill him, even though he faced betrayal, For the joy set before him, he endured the what? The cross. Wow, I want in on that. It's not a happy, clappy, all-the-timey joy. It's a smile of assurance that God is good. And this good God has a great plan, not just for the rest of the world, but for me. Can death take your joy? No. Because Jesus is greater than death. Can failure take your joy? No, because God's grace is sufficient for failures. Mom's failures, teenager failures, elder failures, head coach failures, student failures, all kinds of failures. Can betrayal take your joy? Could, doesn't have to. Because God promised he will never leave. He will never leave or abandon you. Jesus makes his promise, nobody will take away your joy. John 16 and verse 22 Really? No. Not unless you let them. Jesus said that. No one will take away your joy. I can leave here today believing that there is a joy nobody can take away from me, Jimmy. Really? Yes. Could your house use a little bit more of that joy? Mine could. Could your office use a little bit more of that joy? Mine could. Could this church use a little bit more of that joy? (laughs) Mine could. Any place in the world could use more joy. But is it possible, Jim? Come on. Well, Acts 2 and verse 46 and 47 says it, it was possible for a group of ragamuffins just like you. They just happened to be living in Jerusalem at the time. Every day they continued to meet together and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And they praised God and enjoyed the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Yeah. I think a joy-filled church is possible. You take a contingent-based joy And you replace that with a Christ-centered joy. And what Acts 2 says is it makes for a contagious joy. Or at least it can. 
So I want you to know this. I'm glad that we paid off our building. I'm thrilled we've got a beautiful place for people to come and to hear the word of God and enjoy domino games and food fellowships and great Bible classes. VBS says, I am thrilled we've got a great place now. But you know what? I don't believe a beautiful place is going to change our community. I think beautiful people filled with joy will change our community. And guess what? He wants to do that in you and me. And I'm expecting you one in. That's what I'm expecting. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand. Go ahead. And if this morning you want in on some of that joy, not the contingent joy, and you've never said yes to Christ, I'm going to be standing down here with some elders, and we're going to have some at the back. Would you just come find us? And we'll start that journey today of his spirit connecting with your life and beginning to develop a joy in you that nobody can steal. And if you're here this morning and you know this message and this service finds you having sought after a contented joy and you need to renew that Christ-centered joy, could we put our arms around you and say, us too? We've been there. And we'd love to pray that joy into your heart now and that grace over you now. But before we do that, I'm going to pray a blessing over all of you. It's a blessing that Paul wrote in Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, amen. amen. Let's sing, church.